0: Welcome to the gamers over 50 podcast. This is episode 45, the Commodore 64. This will be the hardware episode. The next episode will be the Commodore 64 software episode. And you'll find out when we're getting through this, why we need a separate episode. But if you're over 50, then you remember hearing about the first personal computers, remember seeing them, seeing them on TV. Probably, uh, it could have been, you know, or you may have gone to a radio shack to see one, um, or you've heard of them, you know, Tandy, Radio Shack, TRS. I never liked the term trash 80. They called them trash 80s, the TRS 80s because it was the first computer I ever played a game on at school. I played hangman was the game, which is like a really horrible game. Right. Um, but we also had the Apple, we had the IBM, but one of the coolest computers I think, and, and, and yes, it, a cool, a computer can be cool. Uh, it can look cool. It can act cool. The price can be cool. Everything was the Commodore 64. And what's crazy about the Commodore 64 is it has a following that's, it, there are very few things. You get the Grateful Dead. You have the McRib. My favorite, and it's a Pittsburgh only, even though I know they still have them. I think they have them in like Myrtle Beach in Florida now, but Permane Brothers. Uh, if you don't know about Permany Brothers, you're missing true food love. Uh, You should look it up good city to visit Pittsburgh good city to eat through but also a cool city to go visit a lot of interesting history Um, I should do a game or games podcast about games with food in them because there are a lot of games with food but you know the Commodore what is just iconic in a way and if someone had one or if you go to a games convention and you're wearing a Commodore 64 t-shirt people will say things to you like hey awesome stuff like that so Commodore 64, also known as the C64 or CBM64, you know, it is actually still known as the C64, was an 8-bit home computer introduced to us in January of 1982 by Commodore International at the first, and it was first shown at CES, and CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. I hope to go one day. I have a friend who says, you should go one day. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to. And they're like, well, you can go with me. And I'm like, okay, because Las Vegas in January probably is a lot better than August or July. Now, what's really interesting about this, and I love these kind of factoids, are the Commodore 64 is been listed by the Guinness Book of World Records as the highest selling single computer model of all time. 12 and a half to 17 million units I've stayed with the 12 and a half because there's a lot of there are a lot of uh, stories and enigmatic discussions about it okay so what's kind of neat about this is that the Commodore had three different kernels and the kernel is kind of the, the beginning of your operating system it's how when you boot up your computer and you may have seen it in some movie like Jurassic Park which has got the worst computer moment ever in a movie sorry and i know people are like matrix 3 i'm like no way man jurassic park anywho but it, it had this it had this and it kept and had two different cases that it it had, sorry it had a few different motherboards and had a similar case now think about this If you've looked at computers. And if you look back and you type in computers in the 70s, computers in the 80s, and I know this is probably something bored, but you know, it's the first day of the new quarter for anyone who's in sales or works with sales folks. So you might have an extra few hours today. So do that. Check it out like 70s computers, 80s computers, and look at how they changed. And then look at the Commodore 64. It didn't change. It's the craziest thing. All right. Um, More interesting thing is the Commodore 64 in 1982, when personal computers were going for $1,500, $2,000, was only going for $595 when it came right off the first delivery. Now, it went down. Actually, got down to like $199, which is crazy. And it did that quickly. So people started buying a lot of them. Now, what's crazy, too, is $595 would be equal to around $1,600 today which is kind of crazy because if you think about it, okay, you can spend $1,600 on a computer. You go to Apple, I guarantee you can spend $1,600 on a computer. If you buy an Alienware, totally $1,600. But if you bought a Commodore, you'd be like, okay, you can probably get a Commodore now for like 50 bucks. Anywho, but that's, remember, 1982. So we're talking almost 40 years ago, and this computer kept value in that way. Now, let's give you a little history about this. The Commodore 64 was preceded by what's called the VIC-20 and the Commodore PET. And they wanted to call the VIC-20 or the Commodore, the VIC something else. And somebody said, no, no, we should call it something different. Now, there is a really cool video if you want to learn everything you've ever wanted to learn about Commodore 64, VIC-20, the PET, the computers that came by. Um, Really neat. Really neat YouTube channel a guy named the 8-bit guy. I Like anything. that's 8-bit. I think it's cool looking. I think it's nostalgic. I mean, it's like when I see 8-bit art I think of a soup can so Andy Warhol. I think of you know splattering paint, Jackson Pollock. I look at 8-bit art and go that is just something crazy, but I remember seeing it for the first time Like we all did really cool stuff Uh, What's crazy about? The Commodore though, is it was not just a game computer. You would program on it. People ran business programs. They ran personal programs, tracking items that I'm certain that I probably did some programming in college that somebody had originally done on a Commodore 64. So the, the other side of things is the Commodore 64 dominated the low end computer market, except in two places, the UK in Japan and the difference was in the UK they had an established market with an established competitor and in Japan you know it was it was the same exact thing so you know they had this computer called the ZX Spectrum which we will probably never do a podcast on but you know it's something now also to know now what's crazy also about the Commodore is remember do you, do you remember a time before Walmart and Target yes the days of Sears and JC Penney's in Kmart in every small town if it had a couple thousand people, had a store that you could buy like a toaster, and you could buy like socks, or you could get Cheerios. All of that was in the same place. You could buy records and stuff. In in the town I lived in when the '64 was coming out, it was called Hornsby's. And what's crazy is it doesn't exist anymore. And I tried to find the person because the person Aaron Hornsby's locker was right next to mine in high school, and so his dad owned the store. So if I've tried to find him to say, hey, I'm. Just was thinking about you guys the other day. But you could buy the Commodore 64 in these small stores. If you needed to buy a, a Tandy computer, you had to go to Radio Shack. If you had an Apple, you had to like order it and it showed up and it got shipped to your house or shipped somewhere and you had to pick it up. But you could go out and buy a Commodore 64 and you could plug it into your TV and you could be boom. So think about right now, right? We come home, we get our Apple TV, or we've got our Roku or whatever, we bring it home, we plug it in the TV and go. Same thing as the Commodore 64. Commodore 64 was doing that 40 years ago. Ooh. The other cool thing is, and I'm as a, a student of history and love history, the Commodore 64 is considered the Ford Model T of computers because of how it brought technology to middle-class households. Now, think about that. I, I used to ask my grandmother a lot. What was it like seeing the first car? And she'd say it was the neatest thing. And she talked about it. And my aunt V and sort of a boy that her man, she was wanting to date, got stuck in the mud and the whole family had to push him out and stuff like that. But think about the Commodore 64. If you were somebody and you're sitting at home and you had one TV and you went to the TV and you connected it and your mom and your dad and your siblings, brothers, sisters, and maybe some friends were sitting there when you turned it on. And that moment was technology entered your home. Crazy stuff. The other thing is almost 10,000 titles. So this is 10,000 pieces of software. And that's not even the homegrown stuff. Have been sold for the Commodore 64. It's not all games. Development tools, office productivity applications, business applications. So people ran businesses using a Commodore 64 and then probably played like Lemmings. Which we'll talk about in the next podcast because I really love lemmings on the Commodore 64. So what's crazy about this, and I'm going to do a little n- more comparison here, is it is search. I wanted to see how many apps were created for an iPhone, and then I wanted to see how many apps were compared created and how many you know units were sold. So the Commodore 64, twelve million five hundred thousand Apple devices, two point two billion with a B and 1,960,000 apps have been created for the Apple devices. So that's, you know, phones, iPads, probably watches are included in there. But the Commodore 64 had 10,000. Now, the ratio of devices to apps is exactly the same. It's 0.08%. I know why that's weird. I thought it was kind of crazy that between today technology and previous technology, if it's the best selling of that device type now of course we got the whole android thing that comes into play android is an operating system that covers so many places i didn't want to jump down that hole plus it's almost impossible figuring out how many android devices have been sold but looking at it you know in 40 years we've created a similar amount of apps for that similar amount of devices and those other the devices for the phone and the watch or the ipad are in Billions of homes versus millions of homes. So think of the, the technology jump that we've had, right? And we all know this, you know, does it make us less intelligent? Whatever. But what's kind of crazy is as a kid coding in basic uh, on a Commodore 64 nowadays, what is a kid doing? They're catching a Pokemon. They are playing a game. They're doing, you know, they're doing something. But at the time we were learning. While we played these games, you should learn how to use a keyboard, which is really interesting. Cause if you don't think about it, if you didn't have a computer before, what the heck were you typing on? Did you just sit down with the typewriter? Now I know a lot of kids did. There were a lot of kids that were very, very into writing stories and doing things like that. I personally failed my first typing class because it was a manual typer and I was just not really good at that. Uh, I do type very fast now though, because of a computer. Like the Commodore 64, all these little things that have changed in our lives. Now, the other thing about the Commodore is it's still relevant. It has a, a de- I'm not getting you a dedicated following. You're talking to one of them now. I have a, a C64 mini, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that I pull out and I play every so often because there are games on there I still love playing. But in 2011, the six, 64 17 years after it had been taken off the market. So it had been taken off the market, and we'll talk about that. It was still showing brand recognition at 87%. So if you know anybody who's a marketing person, you say, who ha- what has the best brand recognition, or what has a really good brand recognition? Or if maybe you're trying to impress somebody, there you go. All right, so those are all the quick facts. I want to step into the history a little bit. So in January of 1981, Moss Technology, created Commodore's integrated circuit design subsidiary, initiated a product to create graphic and audio chips. Now this is important because without a computer, without having a picture and without any sound, you're going to be the same thing as a typewriter, even though typewriters have that weird sounds. Now they designed work for the two uh, items to create what they call the Vic two and they developed all this and got it all kind of put together built into it. Now, after this they came back and said we want to create a game console so they brought in some engineers they developed a, a product and you know it kind of failed in japan but all that failure was built upon so like where we, something fails if you ever something fail maybe i wouldn't say burning chicken on the stove because i usually that i burn something like that i get throw away but let's say you're failing on building a, a writing something. You're going to redo it. You're going to take what you were working on and do the third, second, third, fourth draft. Notice I always just move right to the third because it's by that point I'm already there. But you are going to find things that you're going to do differently. And so do the folks at Commodore. They developed this kind of home computer. And so I'm not really going totally into the names because we could sit here and talk about who did this, but they had developed this computer with a graphics and audio chip involved and they built their own chips really big point they built their own stuff so they had their own chips they had you know plastic cases probably fabricated that's pretty easy motherboards being built Um, but they built all this and they it became a process where they could handle the business overhead so where they could take that business overhead And if they had become very efficient at making chips, the price goes down. They get very efficient at making motherboards, the price goes down. They can change their design without having to wait on a supplier. Now, why is that important? Because in COVID, we quit making chips for a while because we couldn't go in the buildings and make chips. And so, you know, auto people were doing it, computers were having issues. Anything that required a microchip was having a problem in the last. And you probably, if you're trying to buy a vehicle in the last year, you probably heard about that. All right. So then they took this and they attached what they would call basic 2.0. Now, what's really kind of interesting was they built it onto a chip. So they have basic read-only memory and it was on the is on the chip on the board. Now a lot of other folks put that into a disk or cartridge or something or tape cassette. And actually, yes, tape cassettes were used with computers. So they put this on a read-only memory. So it was a user interface when you hit and you got to the point and said, ready. And if you ever had a Commodore, it said ready, which is so cool because it was, you were ready for fun. You're ready to do something. You're ready to program. I love it. It was just a huge positive. Okay. Now, with another little piece of trivia, if someone ever says, hey, what was the original name of the Commodore 64? Tell them it was the Vic 40. That was the original name. So if you're ever watching a trivia question or if someone's on Jeopardy and you've listened to this and you go to Jeopardy, boom, and you hit, and you win, you know, maybe send me a Commodore 64 t-shirt. Ha ha ha. All right. So again, talking about this, the reception of this. Well, so actually, let's talk about it real quick. I wanna step back. This is a history and technology. Build your own stuff, build it at home, put it together at home, distribute. Commodore kind of did this production point, and they should be teaching this in production management because this is a much more fun uh, item. I mean, okay, card development, other production, but think about it. If you can make everything the hardware size, and there's a lot of folks who do this. There are a lot of folks in the game industry that do this. It's kind of neat. I, uh, I ordered a dice tower and it's coming from one person and he builds them. And he, you know, I kind of pinged him. I'm like, how many do you build a day? Like 15. So if he was to get two, three more people, he could triple his production. But building at home, he controls everything. Commodore 64 did that. Now the reception came out and, you know, creative computing said in December of 1984, Commodore winner was the overwhelming winner in the computer under 500. Now, over 500 you had to deal with Apple and other folks. And what was interesting about these are the things that they picked on. Slow disk drive, two cursor directional keys, zero zero manufacturer support. Okay, I can I can see that one. Non-standard interfaces, but at the point when the Commodore 64 went down to $200, was that really where your pain was because you're getting 64K, color, graphics, software out the wazoo, you know, thousands upon thousands of titles. Okay. So what's interesting is Wikipedia shared with this. And remember, donate to Wikipedia. If you like this podcast, please donate to Wikipedia. But Wikipedia talked about Commodore had a reputation of it sought to ship so fast. And it sought to go out there and it developed a their whole process in the beginning, ship fast, ship good, get it out, outsell your competitor, which they did. Um, you know, out, their competitor really at the time was Apple because the Atari had some computers, but they're, eh. Now what's also ironic or funny is, it, is that Apple at this time had a very open architecture, so you could like open your Apple and put stuff in it. You could not do that with Commodore 64. Now, Ironically, the chain, it's turned. Try to open one of your Apple devices and put something in it. Now, okay, you people of towers, I totally hear you. But open your laptop, open your iPhone, open your iPad. You can't. Apple became, followed what Commodores? They saw this. Commodore put this together. All right. So $300, $200, $500. Where did it actually hit? Well, it started out at $595, and it did get down to $199. What's very interesting about this, and anyone who remembers this name, Texas Instruments, was that the battle for the personal computer, Commodore President Jack Tramiel dropped the price to $200 within its first two months of release, and they lowered it again, or they lowered the price by $200 to $300, and then they also got the price a little bit under that to $199, and they were doing this promotion where they said you'll give you a mail-in rebate and you, you know, you could, you get a rebate for your computer hundred dollars. If you send us your personal computer. Now, what was crazy about it was you could buy a $10 Timex Sinclair, turn it in, get a hundred dollars off. And what was crazy is the people who were trying to do, you know, use these Timex Sinclair, because they weren't very good Commodore, Destroyed Timex now the reason they did this was there was a beef between Jack and everybody there Okay So that's kind of how it all came together with with Commodore's and it got out the door now Commodore out the door. That's a good one So with, with sales booming and what's really crazy about this in 1983. We saw the video game collapse We've talked about this, right? This is where Sega had issues where say, you know, we saw everyone kind of having a problem at that time um, Atari kind of ended at that time in television. We talked about that, but Commodore didn't. And they blame Commodore on kind of killing the video game collapse. So in 85, an estimated of the, an estimate estimate of the games, <coughs> excuse me, that were being played, were being played by 60 to 70% on Commodore 64s. Now in the computer war, gaming world stated in 1985, Companies such as Epix, uh, survived, you know, there, there were tons of other companies, but they said Epics survived the video game collapse because they jumped on Commodore. Now, Commodore tried to work with everybody and the estimate at that time, and this will blow your mind, of they then lowered the price again to 149. It was costing them 35 to $50 to make these. You're making over $100 per and people are flying off the shelf including, they think they sold about 1 million Commodore 64s in 1985. Okay. So from 1988 to 1994, what happened? Well, the Clone Wars happened. and I'm not talking about the Star Wars. I'm talking about the people mass-produced faster, bigger, better computers. And Commodore couldn't totally keep up because it was an 8-bit computer trying to fight in a 16-bit world finding a 64-bit world. We were seeing the Pentium. Everybody remember the Pentium processor, which we are not do a podcast on. But people were buying home computers that were faster, that could do things much faster and have more powerful. And that, does that, that doesn't mean that the Commodore went away. But, you know, they've talked about over time that the claims of, you know, oh, we sold 22 or 30 million or 17. It was closer to 12 and a half over that time. But 12 and a half million units is pretty darn good. The computer design, and this is kind of where we'll get into talking, we're going to talk about the family here in a second, but the computer design um, was still considered one of the most popular program, program or popular computing platforms into the 21st century until the Raspberry Pi beat it. Now, if you don't know how Raspberry Pi is, it's on my list of items to go through. I've been playing with one. It's a lot of fun. It's a really tiny computer, um, which is very scary because I've had big hands and I have to like put on my micro or, you know my uh, my lenses so I can see the, the technology or my readers but we all have those right okay so the other kind of interesting piece was the folks that built the Commodore 64 and built those chips from the audio and the video chips they eventually created their own company Insonic. Sonic and what's interesting about Insonic, if you go look at them is they got be very into music with programming with their chips with their hardware and digital systems so what's very kind of cool about the Commodore is that where we would see like oh mass producing and getting home. the computer became an artwork so very kind of cool stuff all right so let's talk a little bit about the c64 family you have the Commodore max You have the Commodore Educator 64. What's interesting about the Educator is everybody wanted one big unit. If you had a Commodore 64 there, somebody would steal it. So they wanted to create a big unit. Um, They had the SX-64, the 128, eventual successor. It didn't really succeed. The C64C, they had a game system they released in the 90s and the 65, and now they have the Commodore 64 Mini, which I have one, and they're really tiny. The keyboard doesn't work, so you have to plug it into a USB keyboard, but I'm kind of building a game station where I can put older computers that I can have a USB switch and just, or you know, have a switch for everything, USB keyboards, video, everything on one. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the software that came with this. Excuse me. So the software, BASIC, obviously, uh, came out 1980s BASIC. Now, who was writing software back in the 1980s? Hmm. Our good friends at Microsoft. Now, was it a full version of Microsoft BASIC? Not really. And how Commodore 64 used it, they used it a little differently than our friends at Apple. Friends at Apple used native right out of the box, exactly how it was supposed to go. Um, a little tweaking for Apple hardware, but in Commodore, you had to use some special cam- commands called peak and poke, and it don't put that on the internet as a Google search, like com- p- command peak, Mm-mm, not good. Um, but those allowed for the audio and the video registers to be, uh, used, uh, directly. So you didn't have to go through some kind of emulation. Now, what's great about this is, um, in the Commodore 64, you could also run other computer languages, like my favorite, Pascal. Actually, I did like Pascal. It just got really boring in college. I was like, boo, COBOL so cool. And yes, someone just said COBOL is so cool. Um, but it also ran C, Logo, Forth, and Fortran. Now, if you've heard C, you may have heard of C++, Microsoft Visual C, all that. C has been around for a long, long time. Um, and... There are many third-party operating systems that have been developed. So people who love this machine so much build software instructions, software for it. Now, what's also really cool about the Commodore software is it was one of the first that you were networking on. And I'm not talking about, like, connecting it to your home Wi-Fi. I'm talking to connecting the bulletin boards. Uh, Also, online services like CompuNet, um, later bought by America Online, AOL, um, the source, which is here, or Quantum League in the U.S. and Canada. Now, Commodore sixty four had one of the first online games, and this, you know, very first time it was called Club Carib, and it was a, uh, you know, it was released by Habitat in nineteen eighty eight. There you go. So again, another item, um, and it was introduced by Lucas Yes, that Lucas George Lucas, and this will be where we'd have the Star Wars theme. Um, for QLink customers on their Q64. So users could basically sit out there, you could talk to each other, chat, really, interact, dance, chat, exchange items. And even though this is very basic, the use of online avatars had already kind of come about, but this was online avatars built into it. Now, what made this really hard was you had to have, uh, it was about a 300-bit-per-second modem, so bps 300 baud um and habitat stored their information on a disk so you could use a disk and it would have a lot of those pictures and images again let's talk about a little bit more stuff that was attached you had the joysticks mice and paddles and what's really cool about it is they use the de9 joystick that the atari use so you can take your atari controller and plug it into your commodore 64. um the graphics chips Including 16 colors, and it had what they called 112 sprites per pal screen. So we're not even gonna dive into that one. But he had scrolling capabilities to move up and forth, and two-bitmap graphic models, not just one. The sound chip, still considered one of the best sound chip, was like a Cassid chip and had three channels of sound. Most computers at the time only had one channel. So you can actually go out and find people who created orchestras for this. All right, peripherals floppy disk data set dot matrix printer. Whoo. Now, what's happened to the Commodore 64? Well, first, we had the emulation podcast. You can play Commodore 64 games on emulator, which I've done. They also have the C64 and C64 mini that are out there, and they're really kind of cool. Like I said, that mini, you got to plug stuff into it, but it does come with a joystick. So, hooray. Um, And there are a ton of games out there to play still to this day. I'm actually playing some of them. Um, If you go out to the emulators, there are over 2000 games that are available to play right now. Now, going to give you my favorite three games. We may or may not talk about these, but GI Joe, a real American hero. It's based on the TV show at the time I was a kid. Daily Thompson's Olympic challenge. It was fun because you could play against your friends on that keyboard. And then of course, Lemmings. Now, Commodore 64 is like Batman. It's not the computer we really wanted because it was, you know, didn't have some stuff, but it's the one we needed. If you haven't played it, if you haven't looked at it, if you don't remember it. That's fine. But if you do go out and play some Commodore 64 games next podcast, I'm going to be talking about Commodore 64 games. I promise it's going to be a little bit fun. Oh, well, come on. All these are fun. But yeah, now it's going to be a lot more fun because you're going to hear my childhood coming out of me. Woohoo. Have a great time and play more games.